Please be seated. And now the part of the story of Daniel that you all know the best. At the break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel then said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no wrong. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king gave a command and those who had accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the den of lions. <laughs> I guess just desserts, huh? They, they, their children, and their wives. It's, you know, I'm sorry, wives. It's just not, it shouldn't be because you have a dumb husband that you're tossed in the lion's den with them. That's just a bad part of the story. Um, but so be it. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote, up, wrote to all peoples and nations of every language throughout the whole world. Isn't that interesting? May you have abundant prosperity. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Amen. For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, for he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Pray with me. God, may we find ourselves in this story. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus asked his disciples a, a poignant question at some point, and they responded with a poignant question. When faced with the seemingly impossible task of feeding over 5,000 people with a handful of fish and a few loaves of bread, this is what they say to Jesus. What is so little among so many? I think it's the question and challenge of our time for the church. For some, the solution seems to make sure that the church takes back center stage in our culture. The privileged spot in North America, once again, that that somehow is supposed to be our task. To reclaim our position at the table of governance. Maybe, like Charlemagne, we advocate conversion at the point of a sword. Maybe we take over our schools and make everyone believe what we believe and teach people to think what we think. 
the anxiety of feeling more and more pushed to the margins without understanding has made the Christian world grasp at worldly straws to regain influence. We know this. We know it as a congregation. We have been on this trajectory going up to, to where we had hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe a thousand people as part of this church at one point. And then in the late 60s, this church has been in decline ever since. It wasn't just 10 years ago, or 12 years ago, or 15 or 20. It's been in decline since the late 60s. And, been, and has had less and less influence as time goes on. And you felt it. If you didn't feel it uh, uh, intensely, when you still had a lot of resources and stuff, you felt it since covid And we have felt that grasping for a solution to regain our position. We need to get bigger. We need to get the right pastor. We're anxious about our survival. We're anxious about our place. We want past glories to be ours today. Remember that past successes are often present-day problems. All you got to do is think of cars. They were a great solution in the 30s and 40s in Southern California. And how many of you curse the traffic on a daily basis and the commute and the you fill in the blank? We think electric cars will be the solution. And now we're worried about what we will do with the leftover batteries. Yesterday's successes are often today's challenges. And that is true for the church. The story of Daniel gives us some help in understanding what to do when you are not in charge. When you are not at the seat of power. And how to respond when things change. Daniel, as a follower of the God of Israel, decides that throughout this story of Daniel, keeps leaning into the confession that there is one God who made heaven and earth. And that's the God Daniel worships. There's some other stories besides Daniel and the lion's den that give us some insight. In the first chapter of Daniel, there's this remarkable um, beginning where Daniel and his friends, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, my favorite names in the Old Testament, because they just roll off the tongue, and, uh, and, and, uh, but, but together they form this powerful group. And Daniel and his friends were serving in the court of the king. Uh, Daniel was the cupbearer, which meant that Daniel um, basically had to drink and eat whatever the emperor was going to eat to see if it was poisoned. And he ate it before the, the emperor ate it or the king ate it. And at this time, it was King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel actually served three different kings in his time. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, 
uh, Darius and Cyrus and was held in esteem by all. But in the first chapter, it says that, that, um, that Daniel and his friends were entitled to eat everything that the king ate. And so they got a royal banquet every evening. At, and every day, they had their, their choice of everything that the royal court was going to get. And they were mere servants. And Daniel looks at it and goes, no. Daniel looks at it and his response is, I cannot get my sustenance from the emperor and speak truth to him at the same time. I can't be undergirded by the emperor's power, by the king's power, and still speak truth to him. I'm too reliant upon that. And so Daniel decides to push away from the king's table. I think it's a great image that um, some of us just think about pushing away from the table so we don't overeat. Um, you know, we, and, and some of us look like we've never pushed away from the table. Um, and it, yeah, amen. And that's, you know, what challenge I have is pushing away from the table. But, but you think about pushing away from the table and, and we think about it in terms of, of pushing back from indulgence. But in, in Daniel's mind, he's pushing back from the table in order to give God a chance to sustain his life. To not take from the riches of this kingdom but to be sustained by the riches of God's promises. And so he proposes this. He says, I bring me um, a diet of leeks and other things, which apparently was all really good, um, but a vegetarian diet. And, um, and, and the stewards just go, the king's going to notice that you guys are losing weight. And so I don't think he's going to be too excited by it. And Daniel just says, do it. We'll go for a month at it and see what happens. And so they do. And Daniel and his friends push away from the king's table. And Daniel doesn't change. He doesn't begin to look sallow. His, his, his cheeks don't get thin and his body doesn't get thin. He's as strong, as vibrant as ever. And so Daniel leans into his confession that God will keep him and he won't eat anything that to him and in his mind was unclean. That's one of the reasons for pushing away from the table. But that idea of being able to lean into his confession that there is one God and that God gives us life and that God will take care of us. Daniel trusted in that. So the first question to you and me is, who do we confess? Who do we confess as the keeper of our lives? Not just when the chips are down, but when we're thriving. How do you live demonstrating your confession? 
How do I live demonstrating my confession? Demonstrating that I'm not subject to the principalities and powers of this present age. How do we push back from the emperor's table, from the empire's table, and say, I do not put my trust in princes or in horses or in the might of an army. I put my trust in God. I don't think it's that simple. I think our lives have been intertwined and in being supported at the emperor's table. I've probably given you this example before. I've talked about this before, but I want to give you one more example, and that would be I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian pastor. Um, after World War II, there were some tax advantages created for soldiers returning from the war and religious people. And I get what they call a double dip. I get to not only write off my uh, interest on my home loan, but as a pastor, and if I was in the military, I would also get to write off my housing allowance, which includes in it my principal payment and the interest on our house. And it's really interesting to watch Christian pastors every time that that is threatened go screaming to the government to keep it in place and it's legal and I appreciate it but how difficult it is then to critique the powers that be when I'm getting a huge benefit from them see how complicated it is see how challenging it is Big tax write-offs, though they're smaller now than they used to be for donations to churches and stuff, as that stuff in the last few years got smaller, people stopped giving as much. Who do you trust? Where is your confession? Where is my confession? How do we push back from the table of the culture that says, we'll take care of you. If you just get it right, if you just get all the cultural elements in order, you'll be okay. It's a false God and a false idea. The next little bit is about then speaking truth to power. It's one thing to own where your help comes from. It's another thing to speak truth to those who have the power over your mortal life. And Daniel and his friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, again, it just rolls off the tongue. We were asked to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Do you remember this part of the story? Nebuchadnezzar had this really interesting dream, and none of his counselors could interpret it for him. And so uh, he goes to Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. The last one's hard because there's a D in there. And, um, and ask them if they'll interpret it. And they do. And here's what they tell the king. That God will break in pieces all the lesser kingdoms around him. 
that all these other kingdoms that want to vie for power around Nebuchadnezzar, all of them will be broken in pieces. And then the zinger, and so will yours. Oh, great. Don't shoot the messenger. God doesn't stop with just the enemies of Nebuchadnezzar, but goes straight to the heart of it and says, your kingdom will fail as well. Why? Well, there's really only one kingdom, and it's not the kingdoms of the earth. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. Perhaps they were prepared to die, but the four of them had to speak the truth. They were committed to speaking the truth to power in their time to the most powerful human of their time. And then something happened that they didn't expect. And in our text it says, the king, the, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Must have been what it was like. But not all welcomed the truth. Uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were um, uh, accused by uh, those that the king did not listen to, the other counselors that couldn't interpret the dream. Uh, the king sort of set them aside, and they came back at Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and you know the story. They um, were arrested and they were put in a fiery furnace to die because they refused to bow down to the golden image of the king. Their accusers had set up an image of the king and when they wouldn't bend their knee, they were tossed in the furnace. We know what happened. They stood there not consumed, but preserved. And then the story we read, Daniel in the lion's den. Because his accusers refused the truth and were jealous that telling the truth had garnered Daniel favor inside of the king. Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, and Daniel all emerged unscathed in all their trials, that their God had sustained them. Real people of real faith in both word and deed make a difference. Truth-telling will pay off because it's honored by God. Real people of faith tell the truth. They do so by leaning into God's promises, and that's what holds them up. They do so not by seizing power, but they do it from the margins of being people who don't actually have power. 
They're not at the center of government. They're totally reliant upon the goodwill of the king. But they're totally dependent upon the protection of their God. They're not seeking protection from the empire. They're seeking to honor God and to speak truth. They push back from the table and they lean into their God. They push back from the table and they lean heavily into their confession. It's what makes them different. It's what, it is what makes them unique people. The result is that Darius ends up worshiping the God of Daniel. Hear it again. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples and nations of every language throughout the whole world, may you have abundant prosperity. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Wow. Cyrus was transformed by a handful of faithful followers of God who did not compromise but boldly spoke truth in the midst of great potential harm. The big story of Daniel that we walk into is that God is at center stage. God is the main character in this story. And our part is to keep getting closer to that. Keep getting closer to God. Keep representing this God faithfully, regardless of what's going on around. That's an amazing place to be. And it will put us in good stead no matter what happens to us, no matter what comes to us, no matter what befalls us. Get closer to God Represent faithfully God's intentions for this world, for you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't shrink back from it. Don't claim your rights above what God wants you to do. And stand back and see the big story unfold. Even kings will bow a knee. because of our faithfulness. Pray with me. God, in a time when truth does seem to be under attack, and we think the truth is relative, that it's just about perspective, but we know 
We know that it's not about perspective. We know there are things that are good and things that are not good. We know that whatever produces fruit and beauty and love and compassion, that that's your action. That's your truth. When things are just, when things are right, God, that's your action. Help us to keep raising up the truth of who you are in this world and what you want. It's really hard in families to do that. It's really hard with friends to do that. And it's something we're not asked to do in public very much. Give us courage. Give us strength. In Jesus' name, amen.